Welcome back to the Gentle Counselor podcast. My name is Crystal and I support mums through their inner healing and parenting journeys. For those of you listening right now, this episode is a little bit different because back in October of 2021, it was World Mental Health Day and I had some wonderful friends join me over three days to talk all about mental health and motherhood at the Aussie Moms Mental Health Virtual Event. I hope you enjoyed these conversations, which were recorded live at the summit. I'm also thrilled to let you know that we will be returning in 2022 and plan on making it even bigger and better. It may or may not involve a retreat. (laughs) Wherever you are right now, I hope these episodes find you when you truly need it. I would love to hear your feedback on these chats, so make sure you're connected with me on social media at The Gentle Counselor. If you'd like to receive an email once a month that is full of freebies, parenting tips, links to podcast episodes, beautiful affirmation screensavers, and other goodies, make sure you are signed up to my email list. I hope you enjoy this chat. Welcome everyone to the Aussie Moms Mental Health event. Thank you for coming back and joining us for day two of our talk. We're kind of like getting to halfway through this whole thing now. Um, if you are joining us live, please do say hello in the comments that we know that you're there because we would love to be chatting with you as we go along. And of course, if you have any questions, make sure to put them in the comments too. Um, if you've come here to watch Debbie, we are talking all about tongue ties and mental health. So if you have burning questions to do with breastfeeding or tongue tie, like now is your chance because Debbie's right here ready to answer those questions for you. And even if you're coming back and watching this as a replay, still comment along as if you're watching with us live because Debbie and I will be coming back to this to check out the comments to make sure we haven't missed any of your questions. And we just love chatting with you guys. And Sarah's here. She said, hello and hello, baby. I know it's like, let's not get distracted by the cute baby because I could just spend an hour staring at that sweet little face. (laughs) So cute. Um, So welcome, Debbie. Thank you. Thank you. So do you want to start off by telling us a bit about yourself and why you do what you do? Hi, I'm Deb. Um, I have three kids. I live in Brisbane and I ended up working in this space. So I'm a breastfeeding and tongue-tied doula, um, which is where doulas provide that non-medical, emotional, practical support um, for mums, usually during pregnancy and postpartum. And I do the same thing, but specifically on the breastfeeding and tongue-tie side. So I work online with mums mainly in Australia, but sometimes in New Zealand and sometimes overseas when we get the time zones right um, or the time differences right. And I got into working in this space as many, I know like Jamie was talking about this morning and many of us got into this area, whether it be VBAC or doula work or breastfeeding or tongue tie and all that kind of stuff because of the experience I had with my first child, with my daughter, Mm. where I was fortunate enough to establish breastfeeding, but there were so many issues that we had with her that people normalized and like she was colicky and screaming in the evenings for hours. And like, I remember my husband and I looking at each other going, what do we do? We just don't know what to do. Like I thought my supply was low. So we were topping her up with formula. Um, And then from four months, she just wouldn't sleep. So at nighttime she would wake every 40 minutes and after a couple of months of months of that, I was a complete zombie. Um, And it wasn't until later 10 months old that I actually found I found out about tongue tie that it existed when she was about eight months old 
10 months old actually found someone who could do a proper assessment, knew what they were looking for, and then it was 12 months old when we had her tyres released. And then the improvements I started to see after that, I was like, hang on a minute, why did nobody talk about this before? Like I saw a paediatrician and a GP and multiple nurses and a lactation consultant, all of these people, why did nobody ever look in her mouth? Why did nobody ever check that my baby had this thing that I didn't mm. even know existed. Nobody ever mentioned it. It wasn't like, oh, we've we've checked and cleared her. She was never, ever checked. And so that started me on, I'm going to research this. I'm going to find out more about this. I'm going to understand more. That was eight years ago. Um, and I've just been going down those rabbit holes ever since. And then it turned into, I started a breastfeeding support group, which was how we met. And then that eventually became a business because people were wanting me to provide that one-on-one support um, and actually started out originally with my breastfeeding affirmation cards and then sort of I was very wary of actually moving into providing support in a paid capacity for people um, but I could see that it was a real need mm. because um, I don't replace lactation consultants at all I work in that team um, but i often call myself the bridge, the bridge between the medical professionals and the parents, because it can be really confusing when you're going into this type of situation or when you first find out that ties exist or that your baby might have ties. Um, And so I helped navigate all of that, all of that. Yeah. And I love that it's become such a passion project for you that has beautifully turned into this business of you supporting women because you are the go-to person <laughs> like there is no one else possibly that could know as much as you do and I know I'm hyping you up with that and probably making you uncomfortable but I'm going to say it anyway because I never knew about it either and it's still something I haven't explored myself and I'm always suspicious if my kids or even myself have it yeah. um and I really like learning about it because breastfeeding is so important like how our children are fed is so important and those first few days to weeks is the most impactful and it basically will decide how that is going to look for us and I think there's this um false narrative that like pain is normal and that's supposed to hurt and it's like yeah to some degree like in the first you know couple of days like it's this new uncomfortable thing that you've done right like you're both learning but at some point it's like okay why is this still hurting? Like, let's make a few tweaks here and there to the breastfeeding position or whatever it might be. Um, And then it gets to a point of like, okay, maybe there's something else going on. And like you mentioned with sleep, like your baby waking up every 40 minutes for four months, like on end, there's a point of normalcy in sleep, infant, you know, infant sleep development that we know like, yeah, they wake up at night, but then there's a certain point where you're like, okay, maybe there's something else going on. Like, let's explore yeah. that. And there's I think that's normal, so important. Yeah. And then there's beyond the normal and beyond the normal doesn't mean that you need to implement sleep training, which was the yeah. only option that was given to me or exactly. I think there's, yeah. there's both ends of the spectrum. There's the natural parenting. You just have to, no matter how many times they wake, it's just all completely normal. It's completely fine. And they just need you at night. Mm. And I certainly operate from that space in yeah. terms of, I'm not going to not respond to them. No matter how many times they wake, I'm going to be there for them. Um, But then there's the other end of the spectrum, which is like, well, you need to sleep train them and you need to lock them in a room for 12 hours and, Mm. you know, they just need to learn to self-settle. They're not going to be able to do that for all of the psychological, all of the developmental reasons. Um, But I'm like, if they're waking every 40 minutes, then there's something wrong. So Mm. we've got to look into the physical, what's wrong, is there 
is it tyres? Is there an airways issue? Like, let's support them and support the mum mm. and figure out what's wrong with this baby. Because, yeah. um, and I, you know, people say you're trying to make things wrong with your baby. Well, you're not. You're trying to find out what's already wrong so that yeah. you can help them. And so also to stop right. blaming ourselves. Because that word that you're using wrong, instead what we do is we go, there's something wrong with me. Yes. It's my body. It's my boobs. There's something wrong with them. It's my baby. I stuff them up somehow. It's yeah. my milk supply. It's me. My body can't do it. And so you internalize all of that wrongness of the situation compared to what you're told it's supposed to look like, supposed to feel like you're comparing to someone else who's had a baby and they've had a seemingly easy journey with it. Or for some people, it can also be a completely different experience between their children yeah. as well. And that can be so disheartening as if like mums are, we find it way too easy to blame ourselves first for a lot of things, but something as serious as how our babies are fed is so yeah. important to get the right support and not be dismissed. Even like you were saying, how people are like, oh, stop trying to find something wrong. Like how dismissive is that? Yeah. When you're, especially if you're a new mom and you're trying to learn to trust your instincts, you're learning yourself and your baby and you've got that gut feeling like something isn't quite right here. And to yeah. be told that by someone who's in a power position and as a medical professional is super disheartening. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I ended up like, as I said, it was difficult for me to move into doing this as a business because I felt like this was my volunteer work and I, you know, but then I realized that I really, mum's, I really need to dedicate a lot of time to it, in which case it needed to be my job and therefore like it needs to be my business um, because that first 12 months after you have your baby, you can't get that back. There's no redo. There's, there's no going back and sort of fixing that later on. And what really breaks my heart is seeing mums who are really struggling and they've been given the runaround, they've been... Um, not given good breastfeeding support they've been to see six different people they've been given different conflicting advice from all of those people and they're spending a lot of time a lot of money a lot of energy physical energy mental energy maybe the baby's not putting on weight in most circumstances like what jamie was talking about this morning many women have come from pregnancy and labor and birth experience where they were gaslit they were belittled they were overpowered they were told that their body wasn't doing the right thing your baby's too big your baby's too little you don't have enough fluid you're not going to be able to birth this baby your blood pressure is too high you've got diabetes all of that stuff so we go through 10 months worth of being told all of that and then we come out the other side quite potentially having experienced that trauma birth trauma and then immediately we're trying to establish breastfeeding with this baby mm -hmm when the medical professionals that we're dealing with in hospital, so the obstetrician, the pediatrician, um, if you have them, the midwives, the nurses, everybody you're dealing with, um, they don't have specific training in breast, breastfeeding. Yeah. Midwives have some training in breastfeeding, but it depends on when they graduated, whether it's an area of interest for them. If they're hospital midwives, then they usually will go and do the continuing education that the hospital books for them, which tends to be a bulk booked thing. So it tends to be more generalised mm. for babies or whatever, not necessarily specific to breastfeeding. Um, I also have an issue with a reasonable amount of the continuing education out there because you then get the industry sponsorships coming yeah. in and causing problems. Oh, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> it's a whole, we could talk a whole hour on that. But... 
you're trying to establish breastfeeding without really good breastfeeding support, particularly yeah. when you're in hospital. And then especially because tongue tie is not something that they will usually check for in hospital in Australia. And it's not something that they will recognize if you ask them to check for it. So mm. ties either get missed or they get dismissed. So no, your baby doesn't have ties or well, your baby might have a tongue tie, but it's not causing the breastfeeding problems that you're having, which blows my mind because the very definition of a tongue tie is that the tongue is not able to move as it should normally move. Mm. So you're telling me that my baby's tongue can't move like it should, which is a critical component of effective breastfeeding because all that's involved in breastfeeding is your breast and the baby's mouth yeah. and the tongue. <laughs> So you're telling me that the baby can't move the tongue properly, but it's not impacting? Yeah. How, how can we put two and two together and get eight in this makes situation? No, <laughs> makes really no sense. So for mums who are wanting to breastfeed, they're trying to establish breastfeeding and they're getting lousy breastfeeding support mm. and then if their baby has a tongue tie and it's been missed, it's a really horrific experience. And that's why I talk about breastfeeding trauma because – and. Um, Professor Amy Brown has written a whole book on breastfeeding trauma because we've got the same types of situation with pregnancy and birth happening in breastfeeding and, and postpartum where we're told that we're not making enough milk, we're told that we're yeah. failing, our bodies are failing, we can't feed our baby, our baby's just lazy, our baby's just not interested. Mm. And in a lot of the vast, vast majority of cases, that's completely not true. And it's just a case of finding the right medical professionals that can help you and building your own team. And that's yeah. where I'm really all about making sure that mums have the right team. They have really good, genuinely good support, not just surface good support. Mm. Um, and that means that you can have that monitoring and then the interventions when they're needed. So you know, for this little one, for Gabe, he's eight weeks old. And my previous two children were both born with ties. So my middle child, I knew about ties before he was born. So I knew to get him checked. And because they're genetic, subsequent siblings are just as likely to be born with ties if your older children are. If you and your partner both have ties, then your kids are pretty much guaranteed to be born with ties. Unfortunately, that's just where we're at with the the generational, you know, increase in, in the rate of incidence. Um, so with Gabe, I was like, right, I know that he's going to be born with ties. Like that's pretty much guaranteed. I could see on the ultrasound how recessed his chin was as well. I was like, okay, yeah, right. But, you know, <laughs> I know he's going to be tied. And so when he was born, I already had a plan in place yeah. where I already had a lactation consultant lined up. I already knew where I was going to be taking him to get his ties released. I already had um, my chiropractor's order to get body work for him so that he was in like really optimal shape. And what was really interesting is that of my three children, he's the first one to actually cause me any pain. So with my mm. older two kids, they were the ones that experienced all the symptoms and the issues relating to the oral dysfunction, not being able to control my flow of milk. So my daughter had um, reflux and vomiting mm. and that, you know, the screaming colic wind episodes, um, then the lack of sleep. Um, and then my son, like it was kind of similar. So they experienced all the symptoms, whereas I was actually quite fine. I had slightly painful nipples with my daughter to start with. I had 
early onset mastitis with my son, but physically myself, I didn't experience yeah. any issues. I was quite okay. fortunate. But this time with Gabe, mm. the first time he latched, I was like, oh, okay. This is, a, this <laughs> this is what thing. they're talking about when they say it hurts. <laughs> I've not been here before. And, you know, I've always, yeah. I've always felt so much for mums experiencing pain with breastfeeding. And now I was like, well, now I can really, really empathise with those mums. Yeah. I completely understand why pain um, in breastfeeding is the biggest factor in whether a mother will be able to continue breastfeeding. Yes. Because it's just, it's horrific. Like if you think about how often and how much you're breastfeeding. Yeah. And then to go through pain each time, like that's a horrible thing to go through. And especially when we get told, oh, but that's normal. No, it's Mm. not normal. Like Mm. I would argue that no pain while breastfeeding is normal, especially Mm. because... I had this baby's ties released and we put him back on the breast immediately after his ties had been released and it was not painful. Yeah. Versus less than 48 hours before that when I was crying in the middle of the night trying to get him to latch. Now, I'm a breastfeeding doula. I know all the tricks. I know all the positions. I know all the ways to take care of my nipples. So if it was still painful and really, really painful for me to feed Mm. when I know all of that, and then it literally, and I wasn't expecting it to be completely pain-free mm-hmm. after the tie release. I was expecting it to, like, gradually improve. But the left side, when we put him on the left, it was completely pain-free. The right side, which had been so painful, I had been resting it and, and expressing on that side. When we put him on that side, I was expecting it to still be quite painful it was only slightly painful. Like mm. I'm talking towards discomfort. So that really brought me back to when we say that, you know, um, ties are overdiagnosed, um, ties are over-released, it's a placebo effect, all of those kinds of statements that get made um, in the mainstream and in some of the parenting spaces about, well, you're just looking for something wrong with your baby and you're just, you know, you're, you're mm. looking to kind of, out you know somewhere out here there must be a problem and and I'm just going to keep um keep looking until I find something that's you know wrong um rather than just accepting it and just working through it I'm like why can't we just solve the problem because if this is really obviously the problem that their mouth is not working properly and this is a birth defect this is not meant to happen Mm. it's a failure of apoptosis at the end of the first trimester of pregnancy roughly um, which is the program cell death where all of the excess frenulum is meant to drop away and, and be removed and we're meant to have full and free movement of the tongue we've got a failure of that process it's the same failure of process that leads to syndactyly which is webbed fingers and toes and syndactyly is widely recognized as a condition that needs to be treated in the first three to six months of life, even though that requires putting them under a general anaesthetic mm. to treat it. Now, that's how serious, like we're putting a, a six-month-old under a general, which yeah. is pretty big, um, because they recognise that not having that full range of movement in the hands and feet is really going to impact them. Mm. So my goal is that we get to a place where tongue tie is recognised in the same way as syndactyly, yeah. Because we know how much it's going to impact on their development if they can't use their tongue properly. Mm. And that's where, like, that, you know, relating to mental health, that's where it all loops in. Because yes. if your baby has a tongue tie and it's not picked up and you know there's something wrong with your baby, 
you know that this is not meant to be like this. This might be your second or third child and you're an experienced breastfeeding mum mm. and this is different mm. and this baby's just feeding differently and you've got that really strong gut instinct that there is something not right Yeah. and you are told, no, you're just looking for something to be wrong. Mm. You're yeah. just, you know, an anxious mother. You're just an anxious mother. All of those types of things. Um, and then if your baby's not putting weight on and you're trying to, you know, you're in that triple feeding thing where you're supplementing them and then you're trying to express and then you're trying to feed them and you're trying to take care of your nipples. If your nipples are, you know, experiencing pain or damage, all of that, the stress of that, the lack of sleep, all of those things, along with when a baby's not breastfeeding effectively, you don't have the right level of postpartum hormones happening mm. in your body. Yeah, that's so a good point. Yeah. The factors in breastfeeding not going well and tongue tie being missed that contribute to postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety are huge. Yeah. And mums who want to breastfeed and who are then let down, no pun intended, by the system and are not able to reach their breastfeeding goals, mm. that heartbreak and that grief, and then if you have to wean your baby and you have to stop breastfeeding, the sudden drop in hormones because your mammalian brain thinks that that baby has died. Mm. So all of the, like, this is the first 12 months and you can't get it back is like yeah. my overall summary. Yeah. Because when you can have good support and when breastfeeding can go well, like I've been sharing, you know, I'm in a really, really lucky position of being able to have one of the best teams in Australia, if not the world, in terms of my postpartum support and breastfeeding and tongue-tie support for, for Gabe. Um, and people keep saying to me, gosh, you don't look like you're in the eight weeks postpartum. Like, you look incredible and you're glowing and you're fantastic and, like, you look amazing. I'm like, well, I am actually, I am tired. Like, there's, <laughs> not, it's, not, it's not all sunshine and roses, but... I'm like, this is what everybody should have the opportunity to have. Yeah, it should be a choice for everyone. Mm. It's solidified even more that this is what I want to help mums do. Yeah. Because when we have that good support, and it doesn't mean that everything goes perfectly well. It Mm. means that when something isn't going quite right, we know the right people to turn to. And and that you will be listened to. The reassurance and then yeah. we can just vent about the whatever it is yeah. and then they can say oh yeah well that's probably normal or you could look into that or you could go down this path or whatever yeah um and we just feel held mm-hmm. and supported the whole way through yeah which makes just all the difference like yeah yeah one of the biggest things i see with clients or even just in general like parenting communities online are all of those people who are upset that their breastfeeding journey comes to an end before they were ready for it. Um, And I think, I don't know if you know the statistics off the top of your head, but I know that it's something like the 90 something percent of women go in with the intention to breastfeed and then it drops off dramatically by like the three month, four month, six month. And then it's like a ridiculous, like 5% at nine months or something like that. Um, So like the intention is there of people wanting to do it. And so it makes complete sense that we can link like breastfeeding and tongue tie issues with mental health because that's such a big component component of that part of 
our motherhood experience, like right off the bat, like literally that's when you're plummeted into motherhood and you're having to provide for this baby who literally is using you to survive in all the ways, including being nourished. Right. And if you've set out to have a goal to breastfeed, it is so disheartening and so upsetting. And I was able to reach my goal in breastfeeding, but I also can reflect and know, like, if I wasn't able to do that, that would have absolutely broke me. And if I was already having a hard time in all the other ways that we have a hard time when we become a mom, um, yeah. I did a previous chat with a couple of people already talking about that, then that's just going to add on to it. But what really bothers me is when it's blamed, when it's like the source of it, when people think that breastfeeding issues are the reason why they have postpartum depression or something. And it infuriates me to no end. I have to already like calm myself down just saying that because it's not going to magically stop making you depressed. Yeah. Like if you were to make the switch to artificial milk, like if that's what you had to do, if there was an actual like medical reason or whatever, right? But if you already had that goal to breastfeed, and if you're having a hard time doing it and you're being yeah. dismissed by everyone and you're told to be grateful you have a baby and you're just like shoved artificial milk in front of you to use instead, how is that going to actually fix what you are feeling and what you are wanting to experience and what you are hoping for? But even, even without all that stuff, right? Like just the fact that you weren't listened to. Yeah. Like I can't yeah. imagine how infuriating that must be for so many women that have gone through that. And like I said, with um, I commented on the on your chat with Jamie, we are so like indoctrinated that it's our fault or you know what it like the that kind of overarching control. Mm. Um, we're so indoctrinated by that that we don't we often don't realize that we've experienced that trauma until much later. So yes. I didn't experience. I didn't realize with my daughter when I had a cesarean that actually that was completely unnecessary and I had a cascade of interventions and all of that. So I went on to have to, to process that trauma once I realised it and then to have um, VBACs after that. And I see very similar with people commenting with their breastfeeding experiences because often and, and most often they don't realise that they got done over because yeah. they went and saw the GP or they went mm. and saw a particularly lousy lactation consultant. And I get in trouble in breastfeeding circles for saying not all lactation consultants are created equal. It's true. They're not. There's some really bad lactation consultants out there. Just like there's really bad in every, you know, every profession, there's good and bad. Yeah, um, good point. Uh, there's a lot of narcissistic uh, psychologists out there. So, you know. <laughs> um, and, you know, they, you know, I, I see like, it's like watching a car crash in really, really yeah. slow motion yeah. because you can see these a predictable one. Baby. Sorry, a predictable one. Like yes, you can see yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can see the car driving down the road, and you know this car's going to crash in the next, mm. you know, five minutes. But then it takes three months um, <laughs> because I can see the mum, and they're like, "Oh, I'm just having to top up at the moment because I'm just my supply's just not quite good enough, mm. and there's just this little issue and just that little issue." And I'm like, "Right, okay. Well, have you had like?" an oral function assessment on the baby and have you seen some, oh, yeah, you were saw a lactation consultant and they said X, Y, Z or the child health nurse. And no, they said there's no ties or there is ties, but it's not causing the baby's problems, whatever. Mm. And I can predict what's going to happen in that situation because I've seen it so many times before where by the three-month mark, they're having to top up even more and then they're having to express, but 
by then their supply has stabilized at that low level because the baby's demand is low. We've transitioned from the hormonal postpartum driven supply mm -hmm. to supply and demand, which is um, lactogenesis three. And um, we're at that point where now the baby's waking all the time. So now mum's being told she's got to go to sleep school or that it's her, um, you know, her anxiety and everything is higher. And so she needs to stop breastfeeding. And like, you, I can see yeah. how things are going to play out. And then these are the really unfortunate mums. And I'm, I'm just let me clarify, I'm not blaming the mums at all mm. because they're getting screwed over by the system. We're yes. all getting screwed over by the system in, in all of the, the whole process um, because they will be the ones commenting on posts saying, oh, my supply tanked at three months. We can't all breastfeed. You know, I wasn't able to breastfeed. My supply dropped and my baby never latched on from birth or I never, my milk never came in mm. when I was in hospital, all of those kinds of things. And I look at that and I can see the other side of that where if only they had known and been able to access really good quality support. And that that's the thing, there. isn't it? If only we had known. And that's yeah. what like half the frustration is, is that we understand, of course, you don't know. We didn't know. Like, yeah. no, like we don't know. And that's yeah. half of the frustration is that you put all of your faith into these people that are in medical professionals because we're always told to go see our GP, for example. That yeah. makes sense. Like, yeah, that's a that's good advice. But what's frustrating is that we don't even realize with things like breastfeeding that they have little to no training. Yeah. Unless yeah. they actually have their own special interest in it. And then, I mean, like, like what if it's a, a male doctor? Have you breastfed? Tell me how many children you have breastfed, sir. Like, <laughs> well, I laughed. There was a, um, I was interviewed for a piece for um, SBS a couple of years ago where they're talking about tongue ties. And um, one of the tricky things is like the research about tongue tie um, can be subjective and people want to argue that there's not enough research. And it's, there's overwhelming amounts of research, especially in terms of improving breastfeeding. But I laughed a laugh because there was this middle-aged white guy who is a retired, uh, is a dental professional of some kind. And he said quite dismissively, oh, the only research, you know, that shows a, a positive for, for tongue tie release and breastfeeding um, is that it shows a reduction in um, perception of maternal pain. Now, wow. that really frustrates me, perception to start with. I understand it's a research term because everybody feels pain subjectively. So you're mansplaining it. nipple pain to me. <laughs> so he's like, oh, the only thing that improves if you release the baby's tongue tie is the nipple pain. Okay, but A, would you like me to get some crocodile clips and put them on your nipples and we can have a <laughs> chat about how that actually feels? Um, and B, the biggest factor in whether a mother's going to be able to continue breastfeeding is nipple pain. Yeah, it bloody hurts. I remember how much it hurts too. My if reason wasn't tongue time related. Mine was because I didn't understand positional, but I still remember that pain. And mm. you like winced every time. And it was like, it's like you, um, what's the word? Like you were anticipating it. So then it made you yeah. not enjoy it at all. And yeah. it doesn't have to be that way. I think, I think what I see a lot of is because, especially in like Facebook groups, we're so stuck in the mummy wars that has been created where it's like breast first formula, right? And it's like, that shouldn't be the way it is because yes, some people need to combine feed for a variety of reasons. Yes, some people prefer to pump. Like that's okay. It's not a, like an us first them situation. It is, here is all the information 
Yeah. And here is what we have seen time and time and time and time and time and time again, because, um, yeah, same as you, when I used to help uh, admin for a breastfeeding support group, we yeah. would do the same thing. We would say, look at this, this is what's happening. And then six months later, it's like, yeah, we saw that coming. And that's not, um, that's not like an arrogant, a place of yeah. arrogance. It's like yeah. a place of we're so frustrated and upset by the system yeah. failing women over and over again. Yeah. That's what the core of it is. Yeah. And it's, affecting both mother and child, you know, like we know yeah. that there's um, health benefits and there's risks to everything as well. And so you can't make an informed decision unless you are truly aware of all those things. And it's not just the health benefits and risks to the baby. It's also to you, which is why we can link these things to maternal mental health as well. Yeah. Yeah. And the other, like, you know, th- there's a whole full on, our chat in tongue-tied mental health in adults because um, how we use our tongue. I was just about to ask you, can you talk a bit about what happens if nothing's done about your tongue tie as you develop and grow up and even as adults? Because yeah, I know yeah. you for one had yours released. So yeah, can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, I had my tongue tie released as an adult. So I started out learning about tongue ties with breastfeeding. And so, you know, we know that if we release the tongue tie in infancy, then um hopefully if we've got good support and it all goes well then that means that we can you know breastfeed and reach our breastfeeding goals so that has its own its whole own set of benefits for the mother and the baby as you were talking about and more to the point the risks like the risks of not breastfeeding because breastfeeding is the baseline so I, I slipped there with the benefits thing but anyway um the other factor for this is that what we're doing is we're actually improving the baby's oral function so if we don't release a tongue tie in infancy, then we don't know what's going to happen. Nobody has a crystal ball to say, well, this is going to happen to the baby and that's going to happen to the baby. What you do have is yourself and the baby's other parent. And you are the closest genetic imprint to this baby and the other siblings as well, if there's any older siblings. And you can look at yourself and your partner and the other siblings and see what symptoms and issues they've experienced as a result of oral dysfunction that's continued Mm. on. And that's what you can look at and go, well, this is potentially what this baby is going to experience because they, you know, they haven't had their ties released or we haven't improved their oral function in infancy. So I was born with a tongue tie. I didn't, my parents didn't know back in the 80s, there was no, you know, no recognition, no nothing. You were just handed a bottle of formula if you were struggling to breastfeed in hospital. Unfortunately, not much has changed with that. Mm. Um, But I found out about ties with my eldest and at the same time found out that I had a tongue tie. So I had been through um, having braces and having to have multiple fillings and lots of issues that I discovered as I went down this new rabbit hole Mm were related to me having a tongue tie that was never resolved in childhood. And so I just continued on for my whole life, my whole 30 plus years in compensating because that's what you're doing. You're compensating for not being able to use your tongue properly. And so there's a whole range of symptoms that can be linked he loves doing a poo when I'm being interviewed. I was doing a podcast interview the other week and he did a poo during that as well. Um, the, the main issues that we see that progress through into adulthood is airway issues um, and then also dental issues because your tongue is meant to sit 
up in the roof of your mouth, up here. And that's why a tongue tie that holds your tongue down, down here, is not helpful because your tongue shapes your mouth. And your I'm tongue like suddenly so aware where my tongue is in my mouth right now. <laughs> so your tongue's meant to sit up against your palate, right? The whole way from front to back. It's meant to be able to sit up against the palate. And when you've got a tongue tie that's being held down, it's not sitting up against the palate. It's not shaping the palate how it's meant to be. So you're not ending up with the low and wide palate because the tongue like sort of presses it outwards, which brings it down. And the tongue is a really strong muscle. Got more boobie? Let's go. Have you you've done a poo? You've made some space. Maybe it's more boob. <laughs> um, so what you end up with is instead of a low and wide palate. Let's see, right? No, it's not over there. No, no, no. Back here. Back here. This is business and motherhood, everyone. Multitasking. <laughs> He's very multitasking in front of feed and food. Um, all right, that's a bit of an awkward position for you. Um, the oral development means that you then end up with a narrow palate, which means you don't have enough space for your teeth. So I remember mm. the dentist telling me when I was about 15 that I had too many teeth for my mouth. And I remember thinking, that's a bit strange. I'm all humans born with the same number of teeth. Like, what's the go there? And I later discovered because I had a tongue tie and I had this like almost triangular, like narrow palate that it's just that I don't have enough space. So I didn't have enough space for my adult teeth to come through with the right spacing. And so they came through crowded because they just fit in however they can. Um, and that's when they're like, okay, well, we need to do some extractions and give you braces and all of that kind of stuff. All of that is a result of the poor oral development from infancy from before birth basically um so oral development and you know crowded teeth and that kind of thing periodontal issues because you're mouth breathing all the time we are meant to breathe through our noses mm. um and then the airway issues so um snoring sleep apnea all of those flow on issues um can also be a result of not not looking at and resolving ties and oral dysfunction mm. in infancy. And the reason I group that together, ties and oral dysfunction, is that the tongue tie is the structural problem. The tongue mm -hmm. tie is what's stopping you from lifting the tongue. That makes um, sense. But that immediately causes functional issues and your mm. body starts to compensate and you build all of the habits and the, that dysfunctional way of being. Mm. And so no matter the age that you're releasing a tongue tie at, but the older you are, the more you have to do. Yeah, like work. it affects speech development as well, like how you are forming your words and things like that. And yeah. um, that's where it's really interesting. Like, so um, I know about tongue ties more so not only through learning through you, but because my sister um, had them with both of, actually all three of her children because she just had her third um, a year ago. So she went through it with them because when her eldest started school, they picked up on his speech. And so they kind of explored it through that way. And then all of us kind of sat back and realized like, oh yeah, we didn't even really pick up on that. And then it was really interesting to see it progress through all of them, which is also part of why I'm like considering for myself now. And when I reflect on my breastfeeding with my kids, like even though I was able to do it, I'm like, yeah, I, I wonder, like I'm really curious about exploring it a bit more. And when I talk now, 
I'm like so aware because some, <laughs> sometimes I can have like a lisp and like even Sarah has put in the comment how she tends to store her tongue between her teeth definitely not sitting against the roof of her mouth and I'm like oh I think mine sits at the bottom and I'm like trying to like maneuver yeah. it it's just something that you don't really think about like who was talking about this no one <laughs> but it's so important like this is literally like how much stuff happens in this area it's crucial and the the tongue resting on up against the palate is helping with stimulating um the vagus nerve so your vagus nerve your vagal nerve tone um and i'm sure you've had or will have other speakers that will speak about that as part of your regulation and that's why i commented yesterday about central nervous system yeah. <laughs> when i had my brain fumble <laughs> Because, um, you know, there are, there's starting to become, so, so the research around ties is like infancy. It's like breastfeeding, tongue tie, that's where we've got a whole bunch of research. Mm. What we're now starting to get a bit more research on is the later later childhood stuff. So four, five, six, around speech, around eating, yeah, the two yeah. main factors that come up for kids. Because um, you need to be able to use your tongue properly to mm. form words properly. And you need to be able to use your tongue properly to eat effectively. And if you can't do both of those things well, then you'll start to compensate. So there's research now coming out and it's um, there's lots of case studies and stuff because it's hard to do big pieces of, you know, yeah. let's get a thousand five-year-olds and release Especially when to do with kids. It's yeah. a little bit difficult to do that. Um, but there's instances where um, families have been going down the path of having um, assessment and diagnosis of um, ADHD for their babies. Oh, yeah. No? Um, and they are, um, they recognise then that these children are actually really, I'm just, I'm going to Oh, thank you so much. Okay, thanks. <laughs> bringing me a drink, my talk. Um, I think it's um, the word why they're maybe wake up. Okay, I'm just going to finish talking. Um, and they recognise that these kids... Okay, they recognise that these kids are really highly wired and that they are... Um, they're not regulated, they're mouth breathing, they're um, not able to, you know, chew and digest their food properly and so they're struggling with all of that sort of thing. And some of these kids, they've gone on to have release and um, tongue-tie assessment and tongue-tie release. What are you doing, mate? <laughs> and then they have um, noticed the changes mm, in them. That's they so no interesting. They no longer meet the criteria to be diagnosed yeah. um, ADHD. And the other thing I've got to mention in that is that they are the kids who are having problems with airways and sleep. Yeah, and so yeah. they are having um, sleep apnea and all of those issues. And so they're waking up tired and they're chronically tired and they're yeah. hyperactive because they're chronically tired yeah. and you've got that whole picture so interesting you then take that without a diagnosis and carry that into adulthood mm -hmm. and that's that's what we're seeing now and so I'm, I'm excited for the next 10 years to be able mm. to see what kind of research we start to get around this because we're starting to get a lot more information coming out about you know, breath work and doing breath work yes. and your tongue placement and those kinds of things are starting to get more come out about that. Mm. I'm like, great, that needs to be followed with here's your really good oral function. Here's what mm. we need to get to with oral function. And if you can't and you've got a tongue tie, right, let's get to solving yeah. that because yeah. to me that's the next 
stages because as an adult, if you can um, improve your oral function, improve your airways, improve your sleep, um, improve your ability to chew and swallow food, all of that has an impact on your health. And then I found after having my tongue tie released as an adult, I saw a friend a few months later that I hadn't seen since a few months before the tie release. And she said to me, you seem so much more relaxed. I went, oh, do I? And then I realised that I actually was feeling less anxiety. Mm. And I, because I kind of, I hadn't noticed the improvement because it was incremental. Yeah. But then she had, you know, only seen yeah. me a few months before and a few months after. And had observed it as well, yeah. And, and, and the change was noticeable to mm. her. So, I really like how we've explored, like, the mental health side to do with how it impacts us as mums, like in those early yeah. feeding journeys, but now also how it can impact you. Well, I guess also impact your kids, right? Because if they're going through that ADHD diagnosis stuff, like that example you were giving at school, and that's like really stressful for them. But then yeah. also if that carries on to their adulthood, how that can affect them in adulthood. I, it's interesting. I didn't think about it that way, how it can link in all of those different stages of your lives as well. And not just you, but like, your children and yeah, yeah. what that and looks then like you, for them. You as a as a mum dealing with all of this, um, the, the research coming out about um, mothers' um, sleep quality mm. impacting on your pregnancy and your baby's development in utero. Mm. So that's what it was like. People say, "Oh, there's not enough research on tongue time." Like, well, no. But is there research saying that if you eat McDonald's every day, you'll get obese? Like. There's not because you've got to put all the pieces together. And it's the same with ties and oral function. You've got to look at this piece and that piece and that piece and that piece and go, oh, yeah. Yeah. And what's really complicated about research is that you have the ethical and moral component to studies as well. And that's why I said, I'm like, yeah, because it involves kids. It gets a bit complicated, Um, you know, like to get real good studies like that has to be done in a very particular way, which is really challenging for any researchers out there that are watching this. They totally obviously know. And you can't get like, when they've done tie release in infants and they've done like the two cohorts, they know that they've both got ties and they one group choose to go ahead with the release and yeah. the other group doesn't because they see such big improvements in the release group after 48 hours, mm. they're ethically obligated to offer the release to the oh, other cohort and most of them take it up. Yeah. And so we don't actually get to see the long-term yeah. effects of not doing the release because mm. ethically mm. they have to, I, I, I don't blame them. Like yeah. Yeah. you want to, you want to get those improvements as well. Yeah. Um, and so it's actually like, that's where it becomes really hard to mm. get long-term like negative. Yeah. You know, oh, Debbie, we could just keep on talking about this all day long, but thank you so much for sharing some of that insight into the research that we're seeing coming out. And then your hopes for what we can see more of, I think that's really important to talk about as well. Um, yeah. Can you tell people where to find more of you, especially if they're pregnant or they're a bit worried about their breastfeeding journey, um, where they can find more information from you? Yep. So I am on Facebook and Instagram at the mama circle, which is M A M A um, the mama circle with Debbie J and there's a, um, there's a discount code in the group if you want to book a session with me. I do all my sessions online. I do breastfeeding planning sessions, breastfeeding support sessions, tongue tie support sessions if you've got an older child or for yourself if, if it's not breastfeeding related but it's tongue tie related. Um, and I also have a breastfeeding doula package which is doing a breastfeeding planning session with you while you're pregnant. 
um, and then having um, one-to-one messenger support with me after your baby is born. So, so good. Um, in the group, you can find the discount code for that. And yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time with us, Debbie. Hopefully, you know, <laughs> thanks for all the raptor sounds, Gabe, and <laughs> added a bit of entertainment. It's <laughs> very enthusiastic. <laughs> it's like I, it takes me back to like those sounds that you hear when they're so little. <laughs> yeah, he really gets into it. I'll go change your nappy now, have I? Yeah. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Thanks, guys.